Hallelujah. Oh boy, we're doing a <laughs> we're doing a, a a a difficult oops deep work today, so brace yourselves. We we have to do the joy stuff, the nice stuff, and then we have to do some of the hard work as well. Because we um we are intent for God's people to grow and to wax strong and to become wise. And for that to happen, we have to get rid of whatever was there before. So how does change happen? Um, something has to be taken out of my being, my capacity, and something else added. That's how change is going to happen. So I cannot change my mind if I keep thinking and doing what I've been thinking and doing. So renewing the mind is going to sometimes be challenging, but I promise you that the Word of God is good, and that if it's from the Word of God, and it is the Word of God, then it will benefit us. Uh, anybody here realize that when we come to the Word, it's great to, to discover truth, but then you have to implement the truth. and You have to become what you read. And uh, it might sometimes feel like that is painful or difficult, but it's good for us. Before we start off with this, mm -hmm. can you just explain what is on the board again? Because we are still just there. Uh, where we come from, just the, where we're going, the, just grace. Just this what is, we did. Okay. okay. So, just that. Explain <clears throat> that again, please. All right. Okay. We're looking at the principle of progressing, or the principle of progression. Um, and then we drew this sketch. Um, we understand that from God's side, from eternity, nothing actually works linearly. linearly. It works cyclically. But obviously for us, being here, sometimes it just makes it a bit clearer to understand things on a bit of a linear kind of scale. So what we drew here was basically our faith journey and not just as an individual but uh, for the seed of God, the people of God in general. So just to understand what we're looking at, um, we were created in the image of God in perfection, complete perfection in his image and his likeness we were created. Um, and we actually don't know how long Adam and Eve existed in that state, so timeline. And then the fall happened, which obviously it says that all have sinned and we fall short now of the glory of God. Which means that it doesn't mean that we're no longer created in the image or the likeness of God. It just means that now there's a different standard um, that's not the standard that we were created for. So we fell, and I'll explain the curse bit now. So the fall happened, and now basically what we're looking at is the journey towards the finished work until we get back to perfection. So perfection is here and perfection is here, but the two don't differ from each other. They're no different from each other. It's the same standard, the same level, the same perfection. Just so pause. Logically, can you have perfection and then more perfection? can't work. So okay. it's no different. So I need something to point with. 
So this perfection and this perfection is the same thing, which means that we can actually bend this whole thing onto itself and it creates the circular motion that I've been speaking about. Okay, so we know the best way to explain this is from Hebrews chapter 11. It says, explains it specifically with Abraham, but it explains that faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and we understand through scripture that faith for Abraham specifically was him having a revelation of and seeing the new Jerusalem, the finished work of God. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 that the work of God has been finished since the foundation, from the foundation of the world. He has finished all his work. Which means that as we are sitting here today, gathered here today, in eternity, God's work is finished and complete. He, it says he sat down on the seventh day and rested from all his work which means that we're not hoping for him or hoping that his plans will be achieved and that it will work out the way that he hoped it would work out. It is finished. It has been done. Pause. Think about what most of the world think. They, most of the world think that God is still trying to achieve what is. It's not that they cognitively decide to think that. It's just generally what people think. He's still trying to do what he's going to do. And for some reason, the general mindset is that God is trying to save people. Is that an almighty God? Would it make any sense if we had a God that's trying to become almighty? That would make no God that I want to serve. I serve an almighty God, the God of the Bible, and the Bible says His work is finished, that His will is perfect, and uh, we have done this. Mm. So now, what do we end up with? Think about it quickly. We tend to think he created Adam and Eve, put them in a garden, and that is so different from the kingdom of heaven. We have a situation where man was created in his likeness and his image. We, all we knew was the perfect will of God. It's all we knew. God walked with them in the garden, and the tree of life was in the garden. How different is that from the kingdom? So we can separate the two and go, well, one is on earth, one is in heaven. It's still the kingdom of heaven. If God, you're in the presence of God and He's walking with you, then that's perfect. So we come from that. We come from that state of being. That was what God created. It was an extension of everything that we are hoping to be restored to. Keep that in mind as we progress through the day. Okay. So just to explain. So the perfection. So Abraham has faith because he perceives, puts all his trust in the fact that the new Jerusalem already exists. Just a side note to like, just understand that the new Jerusalem is actually finished. We have in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have Ezekiel, Zechariah and John and to some extent Paul that we can know that they all have this dynamic of going into some vision or trance but then having to measure the city and they all come to the same measurements which leads us to understand that if they can measure the city, then the city has to be there for them to measure it. Otherwise, what are they measuring? Okay, so just side note. So there's many, many proofs that the city actually does already exist. But the city can't exist in an incomplete state because God doesn't change. And His will doesn't change, and His perfection doesn't change, and His glory doesn't change. So the city has to exist in its fullness or not at all. Okay, so back to this. 
So we were created in perfection, which is no different from this perfection because it cannot be because perfection is perfection. The fall happened. We are now living in a different state to that from which God has created us. And now we are on this faith journey back to perfection. So what happens is grace comes is this supernatural force and power that is being propelled toward us as a believer, as a child of God, from the finished work, bringing to me all, everything that is available here, all the blessing, all the provision, all the protection, all the glory, all the strength and might and power and wisdom and love and patience and rest and everything that you can think of that is good and kingdom-like. Grace is bringing all of that towards me where I am on my road, but it reaches me as potential. So this road, so if I'm over here, this part of the road is potential. As I move forward, the potential manifests, but that which is ahead is only still potential. Grace is bringing it, but as I'm moving into it, the only way I can move forward, the only way that I can um, identify that I've moved forward is if some of the potential has manifested. If no potential manifests, then I'm not actually moving forward. Okay. But then we said, in terms of the principle of progressing, we used the scripture in Deuteronomy, uh, where was it, 30... With the the blessings will overtake you. Okay, oh, yeah. Or is it twenty eight still? I can't remember. But somewhere there. So it says that as we walk in the statutes of the Lord, these all these blessings will overtake us. It is thirty. Blessings will overtake us, and then, so what happens is as we're moving forward into the perfect work, the finished work of God. So this is not just to clarify. This line is not time. It's not time. It's movement into the finished work. We, we experience it as the passing of time. So we get older, and with every passing moment or day, we have the potential of entering greatly or to a greater measure into who we are becoming in the Lord. Would there be any point to walking in faith if we didn't change? So we know that the goal of our faith, of our faith is to become Messiah-like, to become more like Him. Otherwise, what's the point? So we're not working because all our sins are forgiven. I've been baptized and I died to myself. I was resurrected into Him. That's what baptism does. The process of repentance and coming to faith before that just brings us to the finality of dying and being resurrected. Now, I no longer have to work or do anything for the forgiving of sin. That's been dealt with. That's what he did. Eternal life is given. So the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. What is repentance? Coming back to what he created us to be. Like him. His image. His likeness. So we spoke about perfection. So we progress. The Bible clearly says we progress to perfection. Let us go on to perfection. So religion has always lied to us and said, well, no one will be perfect in this life. When the Bible continuously tells us, let us go on to perfection. 
So a godly standard, according to the word of God, not what we think, or we, we cannot minimize God's promises to, uh, to line up with our experience. Has any of you ever met anybody that has gone on to perfection? No. So just because I haven't met anybody, doesn't change what the word of God says. Let us go on to perfection. Luckily we have Paul as an example. So we have hope. The person that wrote it, I believe, came as close to perfection as possible. And then we have the Son of God. Now you might say, well, that's not a fair example because he was born as the Son of God. We're going to prove to you today that he still had to go on to perfection. Even the Son of God had to go through a process. Does that make sense? Okay, now, if we take this as a standard, then we have to assume there's going to be certain steps that we need to take to move forward, to progress. What are we progressing to? The word says that He should be fully formed in us. Fully formed. The word speaks about renewing the mind. If I accept the, the truth that the mind has to be renewed, I have to ask the question, renewed from what? Mm. Well, maybe I was intelligent enough when I started off with the Lord. Uh, I just needed to add some information and voila, I'm, I'm okay. No. The whole mind has to be renewed. So if it has to re be renewed, it means it has to be changed from something into something else. Renewed. Now to what degree do we believe the mind has to be renewed? Renewed is renewed. Is my mind renewed if I have changed 50% of my thinking? So whatever part of my thinking, my responses, okay, what is emotion? It is me processing what is happening in my mind. Okay. Can my arm on its own have an emotion? <laughs> like, get up. Oh, well, no, I'm having a bad day. Some days. Uh, so, so, an emotion is, is a, a whole lot of physiological things happening in my body. But it is triggered and it's caused by something. So, if I experience anxiety or fear... Something was triggered in memory. There was a programming. I have programmed into my mind from childhood certain things that tells me there's danger, harm, loss, disconnection. That's what is triggered. A file is opened somewhere in my brain that says uh, I have accumulated little bits of information over all the years of my life and now I'm experiencing anxiety because I have a composite memory of similar uh, circumstances, events in the past that accumulated in my mind to become anxiety for me. So fear and anxiety can be overcome simply by, by replacing that file with the knowledge of God. His Word, what God says, who He is. Am I going to ever be able to overcome anxiety and fear just by me trying and so I've got to replace something. I've got to replace a file. And then I replace the response. I have a different response. So renewing the mind is me filling all of my files with what the Word of God says. With other words, what God said and who He is. So renewing the mind has to be to a hundredth degree, to a full degree. Now, why didn't anybody tell us that before? How often 
in the week? Are you speaking with people at work um, socially and they are encouraging each other that we should be renewing the mind completely? That's a common conversation, isn't it? It's something everybody's uh, focused on, isn't it? <laughs> no. What, what do people encourage each other in? To remain incomplete. Why? Because we love the excuses that we get to have with incompleteness. So we form opinion. We either form it within ourselves or we have two or three or four people that agree on something they just plucked out of nothingness or maybe brought back through time out of human experience and culture. We form an opinion and then we agree on it. That will keep us incomplete. Uh, makes sense. Stress, for instance. Worldwide, everybody's in agreement that stress is a normal part of life. What is stress, in essence? Fear, anxiety, and worry, unbelief, and double-mindedness. That's what stress is, in essence. So why do we fear, and why are we anxious? Because we, firstly, don't know what the Word of God gives us, we don't know what God has provided for us. And, in essence, we don't trust who He is. If we want to be honest with each other, um, humanity just doesn't trust who God is. That's why we have stress officially as an epidemic. epidemic. Classified as an epidemic. Okay, so... Renewing the mind, the standard is, if we agree the mind has to be renewed, will we agree that between us, as God's people, we'll have a standard of complete renewal? It means that everything that was in there has to be replaced with this. The next step is, are we really willing? Or do I want to hang on to some of my good ideas? See, surely, surely some of my opinions were good. I didn't get them from anywhere specific. They kind of just formulated in me. The things I believed before I read the Word of God, where did I get my convictions? Where did I get my standards? Where did I get my opinions from? Maybe I got my opinions from someone else that was really doing good in life. Or maybe I found, we'll find that most of our opinions we got from other people that weren't doing well at all. And then we imported their opinion. Sounds wise. <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't, want, I don't think that's a great plan at all. We're going to change it. This is the perfect God that created us perfectly in His likeness and image. And He's inviting us. Let his spirit and his word help us to renew the mind back to what he created. And for some reason, we don't want them. As a human race, human being, we, for some reason, we just don't want perfection. Okay, having said that, so, do you want to continue with that? Um, keep it in mind, I think then we can come back to it. Okay, that's good. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. 
has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. The, also, Paul is going to now start to establish, like he needs to do that, to the, he's writing to the Hebrew church, and he needs to establish again the sovereignty, the authority of the Son of God. To the Hebrew church. Yeah. Gives you some idea of, how lacking we are sometimes in our, in our ways, if we have to reestablish who the Son of God is. But anyways, He's the heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory, so the Son of God is the brightness of the glory of Yahweh, and the expressed image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Wonderful. What is the secret of the mystery that's hidden in the text? It's not hidden, it's in plain sight. So we have the Son of God, that is all the power, all the authorities, the brightness of God, but it says that he inherited the name above every name. It what was is appointed it? to him as an inheritance. Yeah. So it's given to him. This is your name. What is his name? Yahushua. Yahushua. So Yahweh, creator God, one God, says, I am, I am, beginning and the end. And Shua means the salvation of Yahweh. His salvation. Now, he's been given the name above every name. It is salvation, saving God saves. Until he saves, he has his name as an inheritance, but it says that until he comes and, and washes away all the sin, deals with all the sin, he still hasn't come into the reality of his name. Even the Son of God, that is perfect from the start, has to go through the process of fulfilling God's, the Father's will. Sorry, just from Scripture, notice in verse 2 it says, whom he has appointed heir of all things. So he's to be the heir. And then after he has purged the sins, then it says he has by inheritance obtained. So it was always his to have, his to receive. But first there was an appointment and then an obtaining. So by himself he purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty, having become so much better than the angels. Okay, so now our traditional way of thinking is, well, he's the Son of God. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's true, outside of time. 
But it says that then he sat down at the right hand of majesty. When? When he purged sin. There is a fulfilling of the will of the Father even by the Son. So we are told by the Word of God that we have been given an inheritance. Is that an agreement among us? The Word promises that we have received an inheritance in Messiah. Now if He, as the Son of God, only begotten, still had to fulfill the will of the Father to come into His inheritance, then it goes to... Common sense will dictate that if I want to come into my inheritance, then I have to be moving forward in the things of God. Now it says that he was given a throne, but he sits down on the throne after he completed the will of the Father. And thus, becoming his name. So he has the name above every name, Yahushua, God's salvation, because he saved. That's why he has the name. Why does he have the throne above every throne? And how did he become? It says he became so much higher than the angels. We have on earth the concept sometimes of spoiled rich kids. So they get everything. <laughs> Yet here's the God of creation, almighty, all-powerful. And even his son doesn't just get everything. It's not just given. He's loved, he's honored, he has an inheritance, he still has to come into those things. It's healthy. So I am invited to be a son of God. Promised by the word that he will bring me back to perfection, to wholeness, to wisdom. But he's not just going to give it to me. So today we're going to put in place the principle of confession and repentance. Now we have the big confession and repentance when we confess our sin to God and we come through repentance into salvation. But now we want to implement the principle of the lifestyle of that. How do we live it out? Has anybody here wondered why God after baptism didn't just do the thing for you that you wanted Him to do? So you're struggling with something and you're going like, I'm going to wait until God does this thing in my life that He promised. We've all suffered from that kind of thinking. So it's in the Bible, so he's just going to do it someday. Look around us. To the, uh, look at the world around us, the world of believers. Does it look like God just gives everything to his kids? No. For some reason, we never cottoned on to the reality that we have to walk in obedience, fulfill his will, and by doing that, come into his promises and our inheritance in greater and greater, to a greater and greater measure. Makes sense. Okay. Next, let's go back to chapter 6. Okay, so it says that he, we have a high priest, that the high priest understands us. It, he did come to earth and was perfect, but he was also subject and vulnerable mm. to weakness, the Bible says. Also vulnerable to weakness. He says, overcame the weakness. Yeah. It says he also suffered and he was tempted and he went through all these things and that's why he can be our high priest to help us in these things because otherwise, how would he know to help us? Let's go to chapter 5, verse 5 again. We did this last week. I want to make sure we understand this piece of scripture. It's a wonderful, wonderful, deep mystery. 
So also Messiah did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. So, you would think, well, the father's going to hear the son's prayers. He sent him. It's his son. He knows how to pray. He was heard because of his godly fear. There was an attribute that was fulfilled in the son, maintained in attitude and devotion by the son, that the Bible says, caused a hearing by the father of his prayers. These are very precious keys to our faith. So because of his godly fear that he maintained in attitude and devotion, the father heard his prayers. People complain when it seems God doesn't answer their prayers. Have you heard people complain about it? They question it. It's not God that decided not to hear prayers. If the son had to maintain obedience, devotion, godly fear, then so should we. And our prayers should be heard. Right. Now, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author. And uh, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Wait a second, isn't he just, God decides, okay, you my son, you the author of salvation, well done, we've decided it's done. No, he became the author of salvation. So what do we see, what are we looking at? Even the son had to fulfill the will of the father. Inheritance, throne, name, purpose, position, Fulfillment of destiny and purpose, he had to walk it out, fulfill it through devotion and obedience. Can we now go to Leviticus? Please? Yes. Can I just witness? Yes. Okay. So, just what happens here in verse 5 and 6 with these quotations, it says that on the, I can't say on the day or moment, but when the Son is begotten, the father says to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So this is the beginning. Today I have begotten you. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So he's just begotten the son. The son is the beginning and the end, right? He gives to him, he says to him, you are a priest. This is your inheritance. You are to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, but he's the beginning. Can I go there? <laughs> Very briefly. Very briefly. So this is just the coming into the inheritance. So he's called, he's created, begotten to become a priest. But then it says he first has to come to be perfected so that in his perfection he can become the high priest. Which is again just focus on the, he's called, the inheritance is there, but he has to move, progress 
into it. There's a coming into the perfection of it. Okay. And this is where Abraham, <laughs> Abraham and the seed, the Ooh. bloodline comes in. We all know. So Abel keeps the sheep. They don't eat flesh. We've gone through this. So that at the time of bringing the sacrifice, Abel would bring the lamb that would be an acceptable sacrifice. We know that God accepts his sacrifice. Why? It was a reminder of God bringing the forgiveness of sin in between the moment of judgment so that Abel could even exist because God was supposed to kill Adam and Eve. He moves the judgment to the end of time. Now, why is this important to understand? That's where the first uh, form of priesthood begins. Now we see Abraham carrying all the seed, all the promise, in himself, the seed of Yahushua, the son, the son of man, is in Abraham. And there's a form of the priesthood. So the priesthood unfolds until it becomes a formal priesthood in the giving of the law with the Levites. So that we could have a, a shadow, a picture of the priesthood. Out of that bloodline, Yahushua is born, not as a Levite. But he becomes, he's given the priesthood of Melchizedek. So we see this partnering of all purpose, all destiny, all goodness, all truth, all righteousness, this partnering with, from God with his sons and daughters, with his, his people, although we're on earth. Isn't it a wonderful thing that God would purpose uh, his, his fullness in man? God in himself is perfect. But he chooses to bring us into the, the walk, the purpose, the fulfillment of all things. The promise is made to Abraham, but the promise made to the seed in Abraham, that is Yahushua. And the fulfillment is in Yahushua. But then the greater fulfillment becomes the fulfillment of the promises in the body, that is us. And that's why we are told by the Bible, we are his body. He is the head, we are the body. All the fulfillment of all the promises comes firstly in the man, Yahushua, and then the greater unfolding, the cyclic unfolding. Now all the fullness and the fulfillment will come to the body of Yahushua. And that is why we as a body have to move to perfection. See, we have to do what he did. Understand the will of the Father and then devote ourselves to living out the fullness, the fulfillment of the will of the Father. Is there anything else worth living for? You might say, well, I can find fulfillment in raising my, my children. You have, ch you have children, okay, so. You see, we could say fulfillment, but is the great fulfillment in parenthood not to bring our children into the great gift of us fulfilling the will of God. That's the fulfillment of parenthood. You might say, well, I could have fulfillment in the love that we experience in marriage. Again, the whole Bible shows us that the fulfillment in marriage is to bring that into the fulfillment of the purposes and the perfect will of God. Our good deeds in society, same thing. Everything boils down to one thing. There's no fulfillment until we fulfill the will of God. So, do you want to live a fulfilled life in 
up until the end, come into the ways and the will of God, devote ourselves to the fulfillment of His will, and you will have a fulfilled life. Okay, can you take us to Leviticus? Now, this is where we come to the aspect of confession and repentance. Remember, it says it's the goodness of God that leads us to perfection. Repentance. Uh, uh, repentance. Same thing. The will of God, the goodness of God that leads us to uh, repentance. Now, now, repenting, repenting is what? We used to think it's just how we're going to come to God and serve God is we're going to start taking whatever is sin out of ourselves. And the logic here was once I've removed all the sin, then I have a perfect person. Which means I started off with no good. And I'm just going to take the bad out and then I'm going to end up with something perfect. No, it doesn't make any logical sense. Because what I'm saying is I'm going to just take some parts of me out, remove it, and then I end up with perfection. The, the, but who didn't think that in the beginning? Come on, I did. So if I could get rid of this and that and that and that, then I should be acceptable in the sight of God. I, I thought that, that, didn't you? Yes. If you did that as a person, then there would be nothing left if you took out all the things that's bad. That's why people think it's boring to serve God. They th we think we're going to come to God. <laughs> really, people think that. That's true. People go like, well, if, if I'm going to just serve God, I'm going to become all serious and boring because and I've got to remove Indeed. everything that looks like fun. And then somehow we have this. That's why I ran from God all my, half my life. Did I? I thought I was going to become a monk. You're not allowed to do anything, eat anything, <laughs> say anything. Yeah, it was going to be serious and uptight. No, you can't laugh. You can't do anything. That's no, what no, I thought. I joke. ran from God half my life because I thought, what's left over if you take all the other the stuff that makes me human out, then what's left? A monk. When we're speaking, if we're going to speak about repentance and confession, please don't interpret it as that. We're going to get rid of this sin and that sin and then move on to perfection. Okay. But we are going to do the work. Okay. Okay. Leviticus 5. It's the third book. Just for the record, for those that In wasn't here last week, we did make it clear. We're not going back to the law. But we are fulfilling what the word says, that we should consider all the scriptures. We can't throw away half of the Bible and think we can get away with it. So it was fulfilled in Yahushua, but it says not a single letter of the Torah and the prophets will fall away or be removed. Mm. So we have to consider it for wisdom, learn from it. Mm. It gives us an insight into what God has said, mm. what He has communicated. And we... Combine it with what we are taught in the New Testament so that we can have a, a full perspective of God's ways. Okay. Mm. Okay. So, I'm going to read from verse 1. It's going to seem strange, but then I'll point out what we are looking at, and then I'll show you a few other places where it also is, and then we'll move on. So, Leviticus 5, verse 1. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath, and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast, or the carcass of unclean livestock, or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, 
and he is unaware of it when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. And it shall be, when he is guilty in any of these matters, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing, and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord. Okay. So we see this dynamic of a person being innocent until he realizes that he has transgressed. And then they are guilty until they bring the trespass offering. So all of us walking together as a body, as a congregation and a fellowship, we all know each other fairly well. And obviously we know for certain of each other that none of us have any intention of transgressing against the Lord. None of us have an intention of doing anything wrong. We all intend to progress, to grow, to run together, to help each other move into the things of the Lord. But we are aware of this dynamic and since we've been, since we started doing specifically the principle of progression, we have realized, many of us, if we're just honest, that we are looking to certain different extents at a situation of being stuck. So our intention is to move forward, our intention is for each other to move forward, but there are times when we just, and this is just no condemnation, just calling it as it is, sometimes we realize we're stuck. Something isn't moving. Okay. Now. Is. Okay. If I'm not progressing. Let me explain it this way. I said that all of this. Grace is bringing everything from the finished work. But it's coming towards me when it meets me. It's potential. As I'm moving forward into the things of the Lord, I said that this isn't time. So just because six months or a year has passed doesn't mean that naturally there should have been a progression because we've moved on in life. Three years, 20 years could pass without anything happening, without me moving forward or progressing on this road at all. But if I do progress into the things of the Lord, and as this potential starts manifesting, with it comes a responsibility to walk it out, to continue in those things. Because if I don't continue in what is manifested, then I will backslide. Then I have to backslide. You can't not stay there and move back with, without black backsliding. Makes sense. So responsibility is responding to the ability. So you respond, yes? If I'm growing in the Word of God, I'm increasing in the ability to hear the Holy Spirit, to know what God is uh, leading me to do. I'm going to increase in my ability to understand Him, my willingness to do it, my understanding of how to do it, as I walk with the Lord. So my ability is increasing. So now, as my ability has increased, I have the responsibility to respond in relation to the increased ability. 
It sounds great and it's definitely positive. But now the responsibility is that I have to respond according to the greater ability. Can I decide tomorrow that I'm just going to respond in relation to the small-mindedness and lack of maturity that I had a month ago? Makes sense? We can't. Okay, so there's a progression. So please take note, responsibility. There's a response according to ability. Okay. Now, if you are a surgeon, a specialist doctor, and you come drive past the guy who's just fallen off his bicycle, is it okay to just walk past and go like, I Good see, luck, dude. see you really hurt? <laughs> is it okay? Okay. So I walk past, it's still my responsibility to pause and go like, I'm going to sit here with you until somebody arrives that can help. But I mean, I shouldn't be attending to his wounds, not me. Okay, so there's responsibilities that comes, there's a response that comes with an ability, right? Okay. Okay. So? So? Do you want to go? Can I go? You can go. Now take us to the main point. We're going to just have an honest, fair look at some of what we've learned from each other's re responses. Go for it. Yes. Okay. So, as I'm moving forward, I'm supposed to then grow in the abilities to respond to the things of God. But if we're just being honest, and this is without any condemnation or accusation whatsoever, sometimes we find ourselves and we're stuck. There's one thing that we just can't overcome. It's been six months, it's been a year, it's been five years, and this thing is just not going away. Okay. Is it then, is it then the thing's fault? If I'm constantly given to double-mindedness, because the Bible speaks about double-mindedness, if I'm constantly being or struggling with double-mindedness, is it double-mindedness's fault? Is double-mindedness deciding to get up in the morning going like, ha-ha, you're mine today, buddy? Or, or is it because we are not responding with the ability that we have already grown in towards the thing, whatever it may be. Okay. When I started off with the Lord and I had not yet read my Bible, could it be possible that, was there any possibility for me not to be double-minded? Uh, okay. Everything I did, I had to weigh up according to my experience, what I understood, what I thought. What everybody else told me, okay? But then, now that I've read the entire Bible, I have everything to guide me into single-mindedness, just do and think what the Bible says. Mm. All right. So we have to respond according to what we have accumulated in the ways of God. Okay. But then it says, and the principle that we take from the scripture in Leviticus that I read is, A believer is innocent until they realize that they have transgressed and then they are guilty. So we might not have been 
progressing, right? You could not have known until we taught on the principle of progressing, you could not have known that maybe you were not progressing as you should. And this is not towards anyone specific, it's just been coming up. Okay, say this is the case. So, it was fine until we taught on it. You wouldn't have been transgressing because how could you know? How could I know that I'm doing wrong and not submitting to my parents until the word of God said, this is what you should do? That kind of thing. Okay. But now that we've taught on it, now that there, it is... It has become a reality. Now, if I realize I'm not progressing, now it's no longer something that is just happening in ignorance and it's all right. Now I become a transgressor. Okay. So the first important thing is, say a Hebrew person, Hebrew man, realizes, oh, something's wrong. Like my crop didn't deliver what it should have delivered there's not the harvest is something's wrong so goes to the priest goes like something is wrong I don't know what it is I'm let's just hope for the best will you pray for me and then let's go see maybe the harvest will like just double let's just like hope no he's gonna come to the priest they're like something is wrong help me the priest's gonna go like okay well did you do this did you not do this what Da, 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 lay out scripture for him. He's going to go like, oh, that's the thing. That's the thing I didn't do, or that's the thing I did do. And then what happens? So now he realizes, oh, he's identified, this is the thing that I've done or not done. Now I'm guilty of this thing. Does he then go and say like, okay, I see it's there. Would you mind just showing me all the other scriptures that confirm that this is in fact the thing that I'm doing wrong? And then I'll go home and think about then it. Then I'll go home. Once you've done that, then I'm just going to go home. I'm going to think about it, wait for some revelation. Then I'm going to pray about it first. I'm going to ask the Lord if I'm this is really Lord, what like, he wants from me. Just to confirm to me that this is in fact what his intention is when he said it in scripture. And then I'll see you in like six months and then we can, then we can do the thing. How often does people tell me after we spoke about what the Bible says, says I'll go pray about it. What's there to pray about? Word says what the word says. So, for instance, perfection, which we did last week. Last week? So, perfection is a good example. So, I've sat in on many conversations where Monet has said to someone, um, so the Bible encourages us, the Bible tells us that we should move on to perfection. And then there's this, then he would read a scripture and they go, like, interesting concept. I'll go home and read some more and pray about it and see if this is in fact, like, if, if I'm going to agree. People do that. And then you kind of, and to a certain extent, it does, the world has grown to such a place where it's not necessarily frowned upon. But if we just take it back to its core and what it should be, do we have any kind of authority to question what the word says? So James writes about double-mindedness. It's one of the few places in scripture where it clearly says that a double-minded man will be unstable in all his ways. So there it is. Do I now have to go find 20 other or 50 other scriptures that confirm the same thing so that I can have extra revelation and confirmation that this is in fact the word's intention and God's intention so that I can stop being double-minded and then things will go, get better. We're talking about the, the, the dynamic when people go like, 
I read that I don't really like what it says. Let's admit, we've been there, we've seen it, we've had those conversations with each other. It was like, says this, but maybe I'm interpreting it wrong because I don't like what it's saying. So I'm going to look through the scriptures, not to confirm, but sometimes to find a way out or to find a loophole. We have to be honest with ourselves. So we're not saying, when I come to truth, I read through the scriptures to confirm that this is what the word says and what it means. There's depth to my revelation. But I want, we want to be, everybody to be careful that we check, we have checks in place where we don't want to go, I didn't like what this says. It goes against my opinion or my preference. It also goes against popular opinion. It goes against culture. We know that a lot of things in the Bible goes against our culture, goes against what we thought before, goes against what everybody else wants to know. And so now we, we have this inner struggle with truth, just with truth. And we want to be careful. So when the Bible, for instance, says, this is a big one. The Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. So now what wives do, women want to do, is they want to now take the next year and become convinced of the validity of that statement. So we go like, oh, but, Even oh, but it says that, but how oh, am I supposed to? And what about this? And what about that? Now, that's not wrong. We're not saying wrong. We've got to be aware of the danger. The danger. So what, did this, what does it say in Leviticus? If you become aware of the fact that you were privy to an oath being made that was broken, and you now remember, oh, actually, I was a witness to this oath being made, and I didn't go call the person on it, so I've become as guilty as they are, then what is the immediate response? Bring your sacrifice to the priest. So that you can just, now we don't do the sacrifices anymore, but we have a similar response. We have a principle in place. It's something that guides us so that we don't, we are safe from getting confused in our responses. Mm. We have to sometimes just call each other on the fact that we want to become uh, more efficient in our repentance. Yes. Repentance is coming back to the truth. Bringing whatever I thought, whatever I preferred, back to the way of God and going like, His way is better than mine. This is what we're saying. Now, before you go, just listen to this. And this is something that we have all experienced. Okay, now I go and I say, I've realized that double-mindedness is my problem. And I'm repenting. Three months later, you hear me saying, I'm struggling with double-mindedness. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've gathered all these scriptures that confirms how to do it. I'm going to repent. A year later, you're looking at me and you're going, you're still double-minded. But now, what do we do? We don't help each other. We go like, shame, this guy is struggling with double-mindedness. He confessed it a year ago. He's confessed it ten times in between. He's in this process of struggling. He's a victim of double-mindedness, poor guy. Shouldn't I just go over and go like, just buddy, I love you. I, I'm here. You know what might help? Is if you confess one final time, not saying, not mentioning, not talking about it, just let's draw a line in the sand and go, 
we're going to one to another confess our sins and then trust that all the promises of the word are going to be activated. But can I come in here? So the confession that happens, because it might be that we realize, oh, we're transgressing at this point. And so we go like, okay, I realize I'm doing this wrong. And our intention is to fix it. But if you realize, if a Hebrew person realized that they were guilty in a transgression, then action had to follow. So they could go sit with the priest for two years and feel sorry and say, I feel so convicted, I know that I've done this thing wrong. There's not, not going to be any forward movement until the person brings the sacrifice. Now, we no longer bring sacrifice, but we do walk out repentance, which is where this thing comes in. So I could be stuck here, realize exactly what I've been misunderstanding. So it might not come out of a bad intention. I don't go out and murder someone, right? So double-mindedness could be the issue. But once I realize that this is what I'm struggling with and I've confessed it, now I'm no longer a victim. Now, if I don't repent, if the action doesn't follow, my intention could be that I want to overcome. But if I don't repent, for as long as I'm stuck in double-mindedness, I'm then a transgressor, not a victim. So the Lord isn't going to punish us. We will cause consequences in our own lives. Our sin the has problem been is I'm not going to be progressing. And then what we said is, from the fall came the curse. The blessings are all in the finished work. So as I'm moving forward, I'm moving into the blessings. But if I get stuck, the curses are going to start overtaking me. Not because I'm doing something wrong. Not because God is deciding that he's going to punish me because I'm not moving and I'm not doing the right thing. It's just the way it works. Not that you have no protection. It's just that you are causing your own pain. And discomfort. And discomfort. You're literally causing it yourself. The Holy Spirit is going... I'll keep ministering to you. Move forward. There's better for you. Listen to what it says. And, and I mean, this is a wonderful psalm of, of King David. In Psalm 32, it says this. Blessed is he who trans, whose trans, transgressions is forgiven, mm. whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In whose spirit there is no deceit. So the Lord forgives the sin. But our spirit should be without deceit. Now, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For days and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Okay, what happens? When the person resisted, King David, speaking about himself, God's friend, the only person that God will say is his friend. He says, when I was keeping quiet, when I didn't respond, when I didn't deal with the things, my bones grew tired. Anybody here doesn't know how that feels? I certainly know the feeling. It slowly starts dawning on you that the vitality is waning. There's a heaviness. I start thinking the same thoughts over and over. 
And what helps us snap out of that quick, faster than anything else? We respond to the Lord and we go, you know, often we don't even have to ask the Lord what was the transgression. We know. Mm. We've been suspecting it. <laughs> Lord, will you just confirm? I think I've been doing this thing wrong. So for some reason I, I'm suspecting this thing is in my life. I'm just not really addressing it. I'm not focusing on it. I'm just suspecting it. But maybe when I see Monet again, I'll ask him. And he can confirm <laughs> it. And then the other thing with the repentance part. Okay, so and we're just using the Leviticus as an example. Had this person realized that they had transgressed in this issue, and the sacrifice offering to the transgress offering to bring was two turtle doves, and they decide, well, I've done this thing wrong. I'm going to bring a heifer and a ram and a bull and a goat and a sheep and everything else, but they don't bring the turtle doves. <laughs> is it... Is it, is it going to be like, oh, okay, well, you didn't bring the turtle, but you did bring all the other things, so I guess it's kind of the same thing. So, cool. So it's not, I feel my spirit, it's going well in my life, but my spirit is dry because I haven't been in the Word. I know I'm supposed to just, I eat the living bread, wash myself in the Word, and I keep thinking I'm going to do it. I do the worship music in the car, I do all the praying, I even go out and minister on the street and I feed the poor, but for some reason I just don't come into the place where I can sit in the presence of the Lord and just have intimacy with Him. For some reason I don't do that part, and it keeps going worse, and I keep telling myself I should fix this, I should fix this. What is wrong with us sometimes? Why don't we just, the thing that we've identified, why don't we just do that? Now this is, before you go, this is the point of what we're saying. I want to bring it to a point. We are implementing the principle of confession in a deeper way. It is agonizing for me to sometimes see some of us struggle with the same thing for months. It's causing you discomfort and pain. So instead, and please, I'm not talking about anybody specific, and none of us are looking at the other person going like, that's you. <laughs> I'm talking about me, right? Okay. So instead of us trying to deal with it and doing this and doing that, we're going to implement the principle where we are a body, we love each other, we look after each other, and we care for each other. Okay. I can't go speak to somebody at work. Well, I can, but you can't. Okay, you go to work. <laughs> and I'm going to sit with all your burdens. So you can't go to work and speak about your problems to someone else. They don't know the word. They might know some of it. Most of our advisors don't know God's ways at all. So we come together with the people that we love that have been through the same process, the same teachings, the same knowledge of God, and we're going to go like, you know what, I've done this in every way that I could think of. It's not working. I'm going to use the principle of confession. And I'm just going to tell everybody, this is what I have not had breakthrough in. Just calling it. There's it, on the table. There it is, open. Not, I'm not asking you to pray for me. I'm going to use the principle of I'm going to honor God's ways. I'm going to go like, there it is. How do you bring the sacrifice if you're not going to confess to the... <laughs> Priest, what priest. you did. I'm not going to tell you what I did because it's really embarrassing, but here, just take the turtle doves. 
Like, please. So I'm going to hide the turtle doves <laughs> under a basket of fruit. Throw it I'm into actually just uh, taking the priest a gift today. <laughs> and then when I'm there, I'm going to sneak the turtle doves in there and go like, Can you slaughter those from me? But I don't want anybody to know. No, the fact is, this, this is the Israelite camp. All right. You've got to go from your tent that is in the 360th row in the back from the temple with your turtle doves. And walk through past everybody else's tents and go like, <laughs> like okay, well you did either this or this. Everybody or this, knows where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody knows where you're going, right? It's not a secret. You see, the, the the thing with the Israelites is that guy had to do that last week, and this guy had see, to do it no last month. There's no judgment. It's no like, ha ha, that guy, because I've been that was me two days ago. So I feel you, man. You see, the thing is, the neighbors suspected this guy is unclean. Because this is like, he did something, he's unclean. He's unclean. Okay, nobody wants to touch him, nobody wants to talk to him. He's starting to wonder, why, the, why is nobody talking to me? I'm going to like, hey, can I talk to you? I'm busy, I'll see you later. <laughs> this guy doesn't want to tell his brother, you unclean. We're all suspecting you unclean. You don't know. What a relief for everybody who says, there he goes with his doves. <laughs> Finally, now I can have fellowship with him again. I can invite him for a bride because he's clean. F a few things, just to sum up. We want to stop if it says double-mindedness, unstable in your ways. We can go do a study on double-mindedness and all this. We can do that. It's good for us. We want to grow in the knowledge of God. But that is not to convince us that it's true. The first time we read it, it was true. It's there change. because it's true. We can gain deeper understanding. We can wrestle. There's a wrestling with God regarding us, our repentance. We have a society, we have a world, where if we don't like God's ways, we just go, I don't like that. So it can't I'm be gonna, true. I'm just going to stick to my idea of who God should be and how He should be doing things. We can't mm. afford that. Okay, that's rebellion against God. We have a world that's in full-blown rebellion against God's ways. Election, for instance, one of those, like I said, makes people's hair raised. It's in the Bible. Who gave me the right to have an opinion about it? I just have to decide how I'm going to respond, and I'm going to live it out, and how I'm going to implement it. I can't have an opinion about something in the Bible. If God said it, then I have to figure out how do I live it out? How, what's the best way for me to respond within the context of everything else in the Bible? I can't go like, I don't like that. I'm just never going to read that again. Okay, so when it comes to confession and repentance, we're going to, if we really have realized that I've been struggling, I'm not getting past this, how do you know you've been struggling? This is the final, just the final principle that we've got to get. It's simple logic. If I, I can go back and go like, well, I said this, same thing three months ago. Then I said it again three days later. And then I complained about it again a week later. And then I said it again a month later. Did I progress? Did I overcome? No. How do you know you've overcome? When you you forgot. Remember. You forgot that it ever happened. It's, it's over. You it's behind you. It. If it's not behind you and you still have it in your hands, then you haven't repented. If you have to, this is another thing. I want to make it, we've, we've got to be honest with each other. Okay, if you have to remind yourself how well you have repented about on something, you haven't repented. You're still dealing with it. Okay? If you keep saying the same thing, then it's not over. If you keep thinking the same thing, it's not over. 
If you keep feeling the same thing, it's not, how do you know you didn't forgive someone? I forgave them. People keep saying, yes, but I've forgiven. The moment, you think of that person, you the moment you think of that person, something happens in, the, in, your, in your right ear. It rises up. You go like, mm. And you have to tell yourself in your head, I'm not mad at them anymore. No, this will, forgiven, this will forgiven, tell forgiven, you. Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. This is going to tell you. If you tense up, if there is a nauseous feeling when you see someone, it's, you haven't forgiven. See, simply that. If you get a little bit angry when you think of that person, or you remind yourself of that thing they said, you haven't forgiven. Don't kid yourself, don't lie to yourself, it's not done. Now what we're going to do is, when I realize that I've been trying to deal with this thing and I'm not having success, then we're going to go, Wednesday evening, get together, we go, guys, can we make some time? I need to have the fellowship band around me. And acknowledge this is how we I'm fight our battles. Say. Didn't we sing that earlier? We do it together. We do it as a body. We do it as a safe place. And we go, guys, I've done, I've tried to implement the word. I've confessed it personally to the Lord, but I'm bringing it now. And I'm saying, look, I'm, I haven't been able to overcome double-mindedness. It is having an effect on me, on my family, on the way I serve God. I need freedom. And we go, we hear you. That's it. That's it. I'm not so going to no go need, like, oh, let's, let's quickly minister all the scriptures. And then pray, and then everyone's going to give advice. We don't have to do that. We, we go, could we, do that, we but we don't have to Put do it that. on the table in the light. Because the moment it's in the light, usually the hold is broken. It's as simple as that. It's a very simple principle. And we serve each other in that. Can we do that? Okay.